So this morning, uh, I want to continue our Be Prepared series, being prepared for all that God has in store for us in a new season, uh, maybe a challenging season for some, but a new season nonetheless. And uh, as he prepares us for relaunching and repurposing us as a church. Uh, and I also want to say that, you know, God is the God of every season. He's the God of a new season. He's the God of a recurring season. He's the God of a familiar season. And so whatever season you're in right now, you can know God's strength. Hallelujah. God's strength. Now, I know out there at the moment, it's, it's sort of winter. It feels strange, doesn't it, to be honest? Four seasons in one day type stuff at the moment going on out there. But we, we know there's a physical season, but we also have a personal season. We probably also have a season as a church. And I say, I don't know what your season might be. Uh, it might be a season of hardship. It might be a season of restriction. Maybe something in life that has limited you. You might have a season of renewed energy, a season with some freedom, maybe a season where you can't be as active as you would like. Maybe there's a season for you where you are praying and interceding more than you've ever prayed and interceded before. Maybe for some of you as parents, you've got a season where you're at the school gate a lot, meeting with families. Maybe this is a season where there's lots of connections for you in all sorts of places. Or possibly maybe a season where you've needed to withdraw a little bit from activity. You know, seasons are part of life. And seasons are also part of the Christian life. And we need to acknowledge our season. I think people want to think, and, and, and there is obviously truth in this, but let me just be very clear with you. When you make a decision to live for Christ, I know this is not the best evangelist way to go about it, but when you make a decision to live for Christ, life doesn't always get better. The season of new birth that you experience will not always be spring. Because actually giving your life, although it, we, it is the best thing to do by a million miles, but let's be brutally honest, life does not always get easier when you give your life to Jesus. In fact, the culture around us wants us to influence us a little bit to think that everything, every, every year we get to the beginning of a new year, don't we? I don't know about you, but you hear new year, it's going to be a better year, a more successful year, a more prosperous year, um, a happier year, a more rewarding year. It's going to be a more peaceful year. And we pray, don't we, certainly, that it's a more peaceful year than 2023. But whatever happens in life, we go through seasons and there are changes in the journey. Some seasons are exciting and some seasons are tough. And there's lots of examples in the Bible of seasons in people's lives. Think of King David for a moment. Now, King David was someone who you know, had a deteriorating relationship with Saul. He had rejection from his own children, rejection from his own friends. He dealt with his own sin and the severe consequences of that sin and his own failure. There are so many things that didn't go well for David, yet obviously we esteem David as king. He's amazing and wonderful because we actually see in David an unshakable faith in God. That's what we celebrate. We don't think about the seasons he went through. We just know his unshakable faith in God. And of course, perhaps one of his most famous psalms, Psalm 23, even in just those uh, short verses and that short psalm, there is so many seasons. There's a time of pasture. There's a time when maybe nothing amazing is happening, but it's just a time of being peaceful and quiet, knowing that God's with us. I mean, I, I love pasture seasons. I mean, yeah, I want one of those seasons. But there are shadow seasons. Shadow lands, as we sometimes call it. Um, times of darkness, times of tragedy. In fact, there's a film called Shadowlands about C.S. Lewis and his life and the tragedy he went through. It was called Shadowlands because that's what it was like. It was like living in a shadow. 
darkness. It's tough. In that psalm, there's also, of course, celebration. There's a table time when we get to be with Jesus and we get to celebrate. So just one short psalm, there are so many seasons. Probably something that might feel quite mundane sometimes, something extraordinary sometimes, something painful sometimes, and often a mixture of all those things. But what David emphasizes in that psalm is that God is always close by. He's always close by. So in the pasture, he's guiding us. He's caring for us. In the shadows, he's comforting us. He's protecting us. And at the table, he's celebrating with us. He's partying with us. Seasons will change. But the constancy is that God is with us in every season. He's with us. He is us, he's the source of strength, as we've already said this morning. Now, one of, those, uh, one of the things that we have to recognize in the Christian life is that we should always, always seek to resemble Jesus. We've talked about that right from the beginning of this series, centering our life on Jesus, resembling Jesus. And if you resemble Jesus, well, you are going to face opposition. If you resemble Jesus, you're going to face sacrifice. If you resemble Jesus, you're going to have people probably abandoning you, certainly people misunderstanding you, you're going to make sacrifices. Now, this isn't a boast, but I can say, it's not easy to say this really, it's not a boast at all, but I had to lay down quite a lot in my life for Christ. Because actually laying down our lives isn't just part of our Christian walk, it simply is our Christian walk. We have to lay down our lives. And there will be others of, of my age, of my family situation, who on paper their lives will look richer. Their lives will look happier. They probably have more time to socialize, probably more time to spend money on meals and holidays. And I have to say, that's one of the reasons I don't engage in social media. I do for the church. So you might have seen me do stuff for the church. and I do that, but I don't engage personally because actually, if I'm honest, I find it a temptation. Because it's a temptation sometimes to settle, settle for what the world has to offer. Now, for me, not for you, but for me, that is a stumbling block sometimes. If I go there, I, it could be a, a temptation because I want to settle for a lesser life. I want to settle for something. When I compare my life with others, I start thinking, oh, I shouldn't have my life like them. But actually, I'm settling for something lesser. You know, we only see the highlights reels on social media. And there's a lot of stuff at the moment about safety for children, of course, and what we've seen awful happen in our society, around social media and the internet and what it's caused children and young people to do, including murder, obviously, as we've seen in the headlines. But actually, I think it can impact us as well as adults, our health and well-being, because actually we have this weakness. I have this weakness, you may not admit it, but I have this weakness when I seek to compare my life with others. And it just doesn't happen on online life, it happens in real life as well, doesn't it? When we compare ourselves, what we are going through with what others are going through. Now, some of that is genuine concern, genuine, authentic friendship. But in reality, when we compare earthly seasons, that's when we get into temptation. Because actually we forget that these seasons will come and they will go. And eventually these seasons will go completely. Praise God. Because one day the seasons will end with eternity. Hallelujah. An eternity with Jesus. So your possessions, 
the fancy things you have in life, your experiences, your adventures, that highlights reel will mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. The seasons will have gone. So the challenge for us now is do our seasons that we are living through on earth, because we do live through seasons on earth, are they resembling something of eternity? Are they resembling something of when all seasons pass and eternity? We've prayed this week, haven't we, in our prayer meetings, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we want to experience eternity. We want a taste of heaven right now. That eternal, and it's not a season, that eternity right now. So when we encounter God's presence that Ali talked about, when we prioritize prayer that Beth talked about, when we lay down our life for Jesus, we center everything on him, we know that we are living in an eternal place, not through the seasons. Yes, there will be hardship. Yes, here on earth there will be sacrifice. But we are living in a season of expectation. We're living in a season of hope. And this season is constant. <laughs> it's forever. It's knowing that our eternal destiny is with Jesus. And actually as a church, we need to prepare to be in that season. That season of expectation. I'm expecting God to do great things. I'm expecting God to move. I'm expecting God to do the supernatural. I'm expecting God to raise up disciple makers that make other disciples. I'm expecting God to do extraordinary things in the lives of everyone in this room and beyond. It's a season of expectation. Hallelujah. Now, it might mean that we have to be prepared to live in a season of waiting, and we're not good at that, are we? Let's be honest about that. We don't like waiting. Okay? We don't like queuing up for anything. You might be queuing up for a dentist at the moment. We don't like, even, even, even people are queuing up for dentists now, aren't they? I, mean, I don't want to queue up for a dentist. But anyway, this, this, this waiting, we don't like it. But we're in this season of waiting because actually when we're in the season of waiting, we know that we just simply want more of Jesus. This morning has been so evident that I know there's many seasons in this room, many people waiting for God to move, but there is an expectation. And in that expectation, in that waiting, we just simply want more of Jesus. Amen. So I recognize this morning in this room, there are multiple seasons. You know, we've talked about four seasons in one day in the UK, you know, the 50 odd seasons in one room possibly here this morning. Yeah. And I might not be able to identify your season right now. I might not be able to empathize with your season right now. And you might not be able to do it yourself. You might, what, what, what season am I in? I don't really know. But I can guarantee something this morning. All of you will have known weariness. All of you will have known what it feels to be worn out. All of you will have known what it feels to be exhausted. And maybe as a church, we've had a season perhaps of going through some of those things where it feels like we're just surviving. We're making it through. But I want to use this biblical term, and it's been mentioned in a prayer this morning already. We're also in a season of perseverance. Persevering. It has been a tiring, exhausting season. It has been a, a place where I feel weary, but God gives me strength to persevere. Amen. Because you know why? We know it's the weary that are invited to come to the Lord, isn't it? It's the weary. It's the worn out. It's the exhausted that are invited to come to the Lord. Come all who are weary. Now, the song last week, Cast Your Cares. Now, I have to be careful here because when I start to read out the lyrics of Cast Your Cares, I start to turn into a rap artist. And there's nothing worse than an older person trying to rap, is there? Let's be perfectly honest about this. But I love the words. The storms might come, but it'll never leave. 
Take his word, he'll forever be. Source of strength when we're running out of energy. Place your cares on his shoulders, the remedy. Hallelujah. Thank you for the laughter at the back there. Amen. That won't be going on YouTube later. Let's put it on. He'll give you strength that's needed for every task. I know he's on your side and that's everything in the past he has led you, even through the dark. Because I know that you're with me. Hallelujah. I know you're near me. I know you're for me. I know that you're listening and leading and loving. And I pray that you'll hear me and free me and carry me. Hallelujah. You're with me. You're near me. You're for me. He says, come all who are weary, all who are exhausted, all who are fatigued. Hallelujah. That's the invitation for you. I don't know your seasons, but I know that you've felt worn out. I know that you have. But the Lord invites you to come. I'm going to read Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Far more comfortable reading scripture than I am rapping. Anyway, but I'm going to use the amplified version. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. And the amplifier says, by religious rituals that provide no peace. That's what's the burden upon the people at the time. Oh, I need this religious ritual to do. I need to do this. I need to do that. The demands of life. The demands of trying to please God. Jesus, no, just come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Renewal, blessed quiet. Oh, praise God. Blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. So whatever season we're in, we are facing that season at the feet of Jesus, as Alan reminded us a few weeks ago. And that season of just hanging on, yeah, it's had an impact on all of us. And you may feel that you're there, but we are entering a season of expectation because we are at the feet of Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus, we know he will take our burdens. He will take our cares. He will take everything that is weighing us down. And he will renew us. He'll renew the depths of our being. Hallelujah. He renews our souls. And we will thrive. We will flourish again. And we will overcome. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I know that you will thrive and flourish again. Because I know actually, as a church, what we've gone through has been a season of pain at times. But you have persevered. And I love that word. And I love it was prayed this morning. I don't think Sarah's in the room, but she definitely prayed it. I've heard the word perseverance so loud this morning. Perseverance. And it's a word we often see in the Bible. And it's often linked to strength. It's often linked to God giving us the perseverance, giving us the strength. And it's a word that we also see quite a lot in the world today. And I like this word. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a bad word. I'm just saying it. It's a word that tends to be used, a bit of a fashionable world, uh, word that we use, that we need to be a resilient people. So I looked up the word resilience because it seems to be a word that we're using quite a lot. Of, but we need to be a resilient people. And this is what it says about resilience. Uh, the slide isn't great, but I'll read it out. It says, resilience is the ability to return to its original form after being bent, compressed, or stretched. So I don't know if you felt compressed or stretched. Yeah? Have you been able to bounce back? It's what resilience is often referred to. Are we able to bounce back? When it comes to people, it's defined as this, the next slide. It says, people being able to adjust and recover from some type of stressful or traumatic experience. For example, this experience might be the loss of a loved one, a major financial loss, sickness, or a significant life change. 
So again, when we talk about resilience, we talk about this ability to bounce back from the things that we have experienced. Now, I, I like the word resilience. I, I think it's a, it's a good word. And I do believe we need to be a resilient people. But I've got to be honest, I love the biblical word perseverance. Because God strengthens those who persevere. And I don't know about you, but I just don't want to bounce back. I want to go forward. <laughs> I don't think there's a word like bounce forward, is there? I don't, bounce, bounce forward sounds a bit dangerous, to be perfectly honest. And I'd love a trampoline park somewhere on church sites. But anyway, but bounce forward is not great. It means that we're going to probably fall off. But I want us to move forward. I don't just want us to bounce back. You see, sometimes when you look at people who've gone through such trauma and such loss, and yet they rely on God for their strength, actually there's something about that person that seems even healthier and even stronger than they were before the crisis or trauma. I mean, when we, when we watch videos of the suffering church, when we pray for the suffering church, I don't know about you, but I seem to find people with greater humility, greater compassion, bigger smiles. What they've gone through, they're able to smile. That's not them, that's God at work in their lives. Hallelujah. It's a sign of God at work, isn't it? And that, you know, of Jesus at the center of their lives. And we know it takes time. We know there is tears. We know there is grief. And that is healthy and that is right. But I want to walk with those brothers and sisters in Christ who are able to move forward. They're able to bounce forward. Hallelujah. Even secular writers talk about resilience in this way. They talk about that actually bouncing back is not enough. This is a quote from a chap called Michael Neenan. He says this, he says, being resilient doesn't restore your life as it was prior to the adversity, but rather what you've learned from tackling the adversity usually changes you for the better. It helps you to become keenly aware of what's important to your, in your life and encourages you to pursue it. So secular writers are talking about growing stronger from adversity. How much more should we as followers of Jesus be able to bounce forward and move forward? Because we are people of perseverance, church. We are people of perseverance. And perseverance is an essential of the Christian faith. It's not just for the heroes of the faith. It's not just for those that we watch on videos about the suffering church. It's not about the missionaries of the past. It's about us now. We are given God's strength to persevere. We persevere with the call of God on our life. Even when things in life are painful and difficult, we persevere because there is a higher purpose and there is a higher calling on our life. Now, we know this is a world of letdowns. We know this can be a church that is likely to let you down. I'm likely to let you down. But I know that in your disappointments, God will carry you. God will put, give you perseverance because he's the one who's called you. And you will not lose heart. You will not grow weary in that. Hallelujah. In fact, maybe I can use this word. In our traumas, in our loss, maybe we can start to overcome with the Lord. Because with the Lord, we can overcome. Now, I know it's really important not to use the word when people have loss and say to them, you'll get over it. Because they never do. And they never should. But we can be overcomers. We can use the experiences that we've had in life to say, Lord, help me to overcome. Help me to follow your purposes through this pain. I won't get over it, but I'm going to overcome. Hallelujah. You become stronger because of your perseverance. Let me just read the first wonderful three verses of Hebrews 12. 
The only place to find perseverance, let's be honest, is, is in Jesus. His example. I want to just go through that example this morning. I sort of only just started, but I will, I'll, I'll speed through. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cl- cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Hallelujah. It's in scriptures. I just read the scripture. That's my preach. You will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. You know, the recipient of, these, uh, of this letter, um, this Hebrews letter, they were people who faced opposition for following Jesus, faced opposition for resembling Jesus. And they were tempted to lose heart, tempted to give up, tempted to return to that protected uh, religion of Judaism. But the author of Hebrews encouraged them to run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Hallelujah. And how does he encourage perseverance? He points them to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Look how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way, even shame, even the pain of the cross. And now where is Jesus? At the place of honor, right alongside God. Hallelujah. As the message puts it, when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Go back to Jesus. Item by item. The long litany of hostility he ploughed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I think it does far more than that. Sorry, Eugene Peterson, but it does a bit more than that. But it's still wonderful, isn't it, to know that this is where we look to Jesus. Look to the example. He's the founder of our faith. He's the pioneer of our faith. He's the trailblazer. He's the one that's gone before. And he shows us what perseverance, resilience, endurance looks like. He demonstrated that a man can persevere even when rejected and subjected to such cruelty. Even though he was perfectly innocent and righteous, he persevered in his calling. Even when all around him were abandoning him, even those he called his friends, his disciples. We look to Jesus. Now, when I look to Jesus, I have to be honest, sometimes it can be quite overwhelming. I look at his example and I can feel quite inadequate. I'm just not made of that stuff, Lord. But you know what? We don't just look back at his example. We also look up to Jesus. Hallelujah. We need to look up for him, to him for his help. Where does our help come from? Hallelujah. You see, he does run ahead of us. He is the founder. He is the perfecter. He is the pioneer, the trailblazer, whatever you want to use. He's running ahead of us. But what I love about Jesus, he also runs beside us. And that's quite hard to get a right concept of, but he's there with us, beside us. He's cheering us on. The writer to the Hebrews referred to Jesus as our great high priest. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the priest was available uh, to show them how to ask for and receive forgiveness for their sin. And we have this high priest, Jesus, uh, that we can approach our father with. He's beside us. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we look back at his example, but we look up to our high priest. He's around us, he's with us, he's beside us. And the great thing is as well, is we get the opportunity to look forward. He set his mind, Jesus set his mind on the reward that was to come. It gave him the strength to finish well. John 17, verse 4, when Jesus prays, it says this, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, we know that prayer was answered. Jesus persevered. He was resilient. He was faithful. And he knew the glory would come. He knew, as he said earlier in that passage in Hebrews 2, verse 2, that he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a heavenly reward to look forward to. Now, we may not receive the things that are promised right now, but we see them. We get a glimpse of them, and they're waiting for us. Again, in Hebrews, when it talks about heroes of the faith, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They knew, like we know, that this is not our home. We are in an alien land. But they had seen the promises that were to come. They greeted them from afar. They seemed far off. They were in that time of waiting. But verse 16 then says this, but as it, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There's a city to come. There will be a day when we never regret the sacrifices that we've made. There will be a day when we never regret what we gave up. There'll be a day when we never regret, regret that we persevered. And we can have confidence that our reward will make it all worthwhile because Jesus had confidence. He knew he was returning to a place filled with joy. He was looking forward. And we need to look forward with him. John 14 verse 1 to 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We look forward with Jesus. Hallelujah. We've looked back at his example. We look up to him for our help. We know he's beside us, but we also look forward. Look forward to being with Jesus, Jesus being in the place that he has prepared for us. And we persevere, church. We persevere, brother and sisters. There is only, I believe, one threat to our perseverance. It's not trauma. It's not disunity. It's not church scandal, even though it's affected me, as I talked about a few weeks ago. It's not being let down by others. It's not a pandemic. It's not a war. And there's plenty of that going on around us. It's not change, even though we may not like change. It's not even our weariness. It's not even our burnout, our fatigue. There's one word that threatens our perseverance, and that word is me. It's you, actually, as well. Sorry, just 
to say that yet. It's not just me. It's us. It's thinking we can do this. It's thinking that we have the resources to overcome. That is the greatest threat. Taking our eyes off Jesus is the greatest threat to our perseverance. This is a bit, I'm going to say this, but I, I, want to, I should have put this on here as a bit of a quote, but I liked it. It's me trying to rap, I think. We look to ourselves to carry on and survive. We look to Jesus to overcome and thrive. Hallelujah. We look to ourselves to carry on and survive, but we look to Jesus to overcome and thrive. It's his example of faithfulness. It's his high priestly work alongside us. It's the anticipation of future joy that is going to feed our perseverance. It's Jesus. Keep our eyes on him. As James says, we will have this same testimony. James 1 verse 2 to 4. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. That's thriving, isn't it? Not deficient in everything. Hallelujah. Then in one of Paul's apostolic prayers to the Colossian church, Paul's convinced that their resilience, their endurance, their, their patience can become great because they receive strength from the all-powerful one. And I love the phrase in Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's him at work in us. Don't look to ourselves. Don't look to our strength. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the ultimate source of strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God gives it in bountiful supply according to his glorious might. I'm going to use the message one more time. It's not on the screen, but I'll just use it one more time. Just to paraphrase a little bit of this prayer to the church in Colosh. It says this. He says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. Hallelujah. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth. That's the human way. Let's grit our teeth. Let's get through this. But the glory strength God gives. Hallelujah. We want to receive the glory strength that God gives this morning.